You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, everyone. We are so excited to announce something brand new to Election College, and it's all about you guys. It's our brand new Election College Facebook group. Yeah, if you go over to electioncollege.com slash group, you will join our Facebook group. And it is, uh, it's not such a private group. It's, you know, for anyone who wants to be a part of it. Uh, but it's basically for fans like you and people who are just interested in election history and the things like we talk about on Election College. Or if you want to share uh, your favorite soundtrack from when you were a kid that was all about uh, presidents, you could do that too. That's been happening as well. Yeah. So we're there to talk. We're not there just to spew a bunch of trivia facts and everything. Although I, do go down the rabbit hole every now and then and check out those sites too. But you can get trivia anywhere with the Election College group. We want to just uh, have a community centered around people like us. Another cool thing about the group is we're doing giveaways. That's right. Our friends at Simon & Schuster have made available some books we'll be giving away every now and then. Uh, Later on in the podcast, we're going to be talking about this week's giveaway. It's pretty awesome. Especially if you have kids, but, you know, yeah. even <laughs> or if you if don't, just, you know, kind of quirky yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. Uh, so, yeah, head on over to electioncollege.com slash group, or you can uh, search on the Election College Twitter or Facebook pages, and we'll have links there as well. But make sure to be a part of the community. We'd love that. See you on the inside. Election College, episode 274, Woodrow Wilson, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we've gotten quite a number of comments coming in about part one of Woodrow Wilson. Some of them dealing with, you know, the racism that uh, is much attributed to his legacy. But probably the most comments we've received are the fact that the guy kind of changed everything about the Constitution. He was kind of a guy who just did what he wanted and put rules into place where they should or shouldn't have been. Uh, that's up to your interpretation, who, you know, restricted a few more things. But yeah, I think that any conversation about Woodrow Wilson, without mentioning those things, of course, his positives and his negatives in regard to slavery or racism, uh, wouldn't be in place. So those will be sprinkled in throughout here as well, just like we always try to do with anyone who has those types of beliefs outstanding. Yeah, he's all mavericky when it comes to politics and that's where we pick up on the life of Woodrow Wilson. He has just decided, hey, Princeton, I'm going into politics. And that's where we pick it up. Yeah. So in July of 1910, he is uh, in New Jersey and he's really getting introduced to a lot of people who are really powerful. And they really 
liked uh, Woodrow Wilson, and they're kind of saying he's our man. He's going to be the person we choose to be our nominee. But they don't really announce that quite yet until September 14th when Wilson gets nominated to the party as their candidate for governor of New Jersey. And he submits a letter of resignation to Princeton on October 20th saying, basically, I can't do two things at once. I know that. I not do things that take this much attention, at least. So I am uh, I'm officially resigning, and I'm going to be the Democratic nominee for the governor of New Jersey. In the general election, Wilson is opposed by Republican Vivian M. Williams, who is the state commissioner of banking and insurance. And Wilson, he centers his campaign mostly about being independent, of being beholden to any party, any bosses that might be out there. And he says, hey, I'm an academic and I'm really good at speaking in front of groups. And well, get this, I'm a progressive. He destroys Lewis in the general election by more than 650,000 votes, even though William Howard Taft carried New Jersey in 1908. So there was a, a little bit of a tie to turn in there in New Jersey. The turntables have turned. Ooh. I think that's another office reference. We're going like six episodes in a row here on office references. So, Man, we're awesome. Yeah. So Wilson, as the governor, is pretty prominent. People know who he is. He's in the national media all the time. And he's like, um... I guess I'm going to have to run for president now in 1912 because he is so popular and he really is going for the Democratic nomination. Uh, he's going to speak at the Atlanta meeting uh, of the Southern Commercial Congress and pretty much everything goes well for him. He gets nominated for uh, that position for the for the presidency and begins his campaign. Of course, he starts out in the South being more of a, a person who aligns with the South, who they align with him a lot as well. And people there are actually kind of thinking he's a little bit too liberal. They're really conservative, and he's a little more outspoken. But they do like him nonetheless. And he's really the first guy who has a big chance at winning the White House from the South. Because, you know, everybody's still kind of ticked off at the South because of the whole thing they did like 60 years prior. Uh, maybe 50 years prior, where they, you know, fought the North in a war that killed lots of people. So it's really the first time where those wounds are maybe starting to heal, where somebody from the South is really uh, picking up some steam. And Wilson is just chugging along, gets a campaign manager. And, well, the, the Democratic Convention in Baltimore in 1912 was just crazy. It was just insane. And we know what happens on the Republican side, right? Yeah, TR, he splits the Republicans, and Wilson is convinced that the Baltimore Convention will be just fine without him. So he goes golfing, and uh, he loves the automobile, so he gets into his car and drives around. can imagine what that was like. And the convention is deadlocked for over 40 ballots. Nobody can reach the two-thirds vote that was required to become the candidate. The leading contender was Champ Clark. Now, Champ was a progressive who was very strong in the border states, and uh, he's the House Speaker. Seems like he would do very well. You got William Randolph Hearst, you know, the publisher. He's supporting Clark. And William Jennings Bryan, who we know as the guy who ran just about 
every single election for the Democrats for <laughs> what seemed like a million years. He's like, uh, I don't know if we should support any candidate that is supported by the financiers of Wall Street. So you've got things not so happy for Clark right now because he's kind of the establishment in a way. But you have William Jennings Bryan, who has some rapport with Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson reaches out to him and is like, hey, buddy, I, I want to be your friend. And Brian says, yep, I'm throwing my support behind that guy. And that guy is Woodrow Wilson. 46 ballots it takes for Wilson to get that nomination. And after he does, he chooses the governor of Indiana, Thomas R. Marshall, as his vice presidential running mate. So really, at this point, Wilson tells his chairman of finance, hey, don't accept any contributions from big corporations. Make sure we get just a lot of smaller people. Make sure we get, you know, the smallest donations possible so that we can embolden the base and they can really feel like they're helping out. And also so that we're showing that we're not accepting big corporations as part of our campaign strategy. And, you know, they're not going to run my presidency if I win. Uh, he is a great speaker. Uh, he is just going around in multiple cities, blowing people away. Uh, he bashes the Bull Moose Party, which, of course, Roosevelt is part of now. And Roosevelt just goes on the offensive, of course. So it's kind of a, a bloody campaign during that time. Roosevelt gets uh, hurt by an assassin, uh, which we've talked about in the past, or someone who was trying to be an assassin. And... At that point, Wilson kind of eases up and doesn't really hammer on him so hard. Uh, but, you know, the damage is already done. People are already against Roosevelt, and Wilson ends up winning with 41.8% of the electoral votes. Or, I'm sorry, the popular votes. He gets 435 electoral votes. So Roosevelt definitely played a part in taking away some of those votes in some of those states. But Wilson still manages to swing out with uh, the right strategy, I guess. Yeah, and it's not clear, um, you know, who Wilson should have been running against or running for. But we do know this, a three-way election where two-thirds of the uh, those involved, when they're involved in the same party, well, your party's going to lose. It's just not going to work out well for you. Yeah. So what, what happens when you get voted in as the president of the United States? You go to Bermuda because... Let's face it, Wilson had his uh, health hang-ups and hiccups, right? A stroke here and uh, waking up blind and, you know, the different health issues that Wilson was plagued with. Uh, Bermuda is a great place to go. And while there, he just chills out and gets some rest. And he comes to Washington in March of 1913, pumped up. He says... I'm going to lower tariffs and there's going to be banking reform and we are going to have some aggressive trust and labor legislation brought uh, before Congress. And you know what? While we're at it, let's get to work. I'm not going to have a, an inaugural ball because let's face it, it's time to work. So Wilson, kind of a nerd. <laughs> in a way uh he doesn't he doesn't really have that winsome um, behavior uh that roosevelt and even taft had he needs to rest he's got a physician um officer a naval officer named carrie grayson that was his physician he had him nearby 
So despite his health issues, you know, he was said to have had a circulatory problem and hardening of the arteries. He would go out and give twice a week press conferences in the White House. And he was also the first person since TJ to give a State of the Union address in person. Wilson is the first Democrat, other than Grover Cleveland, to get elected since 1856. And so he really recognizes that the Democrats need a win in order for people to really respect them again and, you know, chip in money to the campaigns and stuff like that. So uh, he's working with the Southern Democrats. And during his first month in office, his postmaster general brings up the idea of racially segregating different workplaces while they're in a cabinet meeting. And he's like, hey, Wilson, you got to establish this policy. Like, you've got to make sure they're not in our restrooms, our cafeterias, our workspaces, anything. And by the end of 1913, a lot of places have segregation, including the Navy. And they're segregated by screens and sometimes just different doors and stuff like that. There's no exact executive order about this, but it's fair to say that Wilson played a part in it and at least condoned it, if not... Uh, I'm sorry, at least allowed it to happen, if uh, if nothing else. So he is defending that policy, and uh, that is certainly a part of his career, his presidency, that we um, remember as, you know, hey, the Civil War's over, slavery's over. Uh, it's, you know, it's the early 1900s. Let's get with the times, I guess. Um, but, of course, much of that racism, and even if it wasn't racism, the idea that people couldn't coexist if they were different colors, uh, still permeated the culture and especially Wilson's presidency. Yeah. And you tend to hear that, like even up until uh, recent times where somebody will defend a position that is morally uh, bankrupt in a way of saying, oh, actually, we're protecting the minority group. But that definitely wasn't the case uh, with this. He he promised that he was going to work with African-Americans and he was going to uh, do away with some of the injustices that had happened in um, the years leading up to his administration. But uh, no, <laughs> segregation, let's face it, came back and was very prominent in the government because of Wilson not taking a stand against some of these advisors that he had. Would he have taken a stand against them? I don't think so. He just has that track record. Anyway, beyond the dealings with African Americans, he was in alignment with the state of California, who at the time proposed legislation that excluded Japanese people from having the ability to own land. Japan, if you remember, we had kind of good relations with Japan during the Taft years, you know, they came over and planted the cherry blossoms and all that good stuff. But Wilson, no, he didn't do very good for uh, relations between uh, the Japanese and the Americans. And this was humiliating uh, to the Japanese. They didn't want to have anything to do with the United States of America there for quite some time. Wilson did try to unite the Northern and the Southern Democrats he was very much not beholden to the urban bosses of the North, nor the, the agrarian wing there in the South. But he said that, quote, the whole art of statesmanship is the art of bringing the several parts of government into effective cooperation for the accomplishment of particular common objects. So it seems as though he is doing quite the job 
of unifying the Democrats, even while in the role of president. So he is uh, getting all kinds of support from all over. And what ends up happening is we've got banking and depending on how you feel about it, reform. (laughs) Well, remember one of the things that Wilson said he was going to do was reduce some of the tariffs and we got to find a way to make up that revenue, right? So in order to reduce the tariffs, he has to get some support from somebody who he had previously been at odds with, Oscar Underwood, who was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. And, of course, a couple other individuals as well. They passed a the Underwood tariff uh, by a vote of 274 to 5. It takes a little longer for the Senate to pass it, but he eventually signs things into effect. And, well, World War One's coming along, changes are happening, and... Wilson says, down with the corporate lobbyists. We need to get rid of them because they're the ones, uh, you know, really hurting this thing that we need to get behind these tariff changes. And everybody's like, well, what are we going to do about all the, the lower tariff and, and the revenue and, you know, World War One happening? And he says, I know. Let's create a new amendment, the 16th Amendment, about federal income tax. I guarantee people in 2018 are going to love it. <laughs> We don't, by the way. No. Most people. Most people don't like paying it. You may like the effects of it, but you probably don't like paying it. So now you have this new way of acquiring income for the government, and he tries to achieve middle ground uh, between conservatives as well as liberals. And, you know, the conservatives, they they want banks to prosper, and, uh, you know, you can have your goods and the bads that come out of that. But then you have people like William Jennings Bryan who are like, no, the pri- these private banks in Wall Street, they are horrible. And what are you going to do? Well, there's this compromise. And the compromise is that you're going to have 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. And the private banks are going to control these Federal Reserve banks. But yeah, you've got this whole Federal Reserve system that... Very few of us, I'm going to throw myself into this, understand completely. You know, you look at your dollar bill and and you see there's a a federal bank name on there. Did you know that, Ben? Like that Uh A, when it says A, is that New York? That means, or is that Boston? I can't remember. I forget which one's which, but yeah, there's those little numbers on there. Yeah. Like they have all all of the money that's produced in that month is A. Uh So like January is A. Do you know that? I didn't know the month thing. Yeah. Go figure. Oh. Because there's 12 banks. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Somebody can prove me wrong on that, but I think I heard that like a long time ago. Anyway, so you've got this decentralization of the private banks because New York is no longer the only thing. You've got 11 other banks around the country. And we don't really see the full effect of this until FDR comes around because he's you know got some of the thrust between getting the country out of the Great Depression, as well as, you know, gearing up for a major Second World War. But Wilson, he is the mastermind in getting this thing implemented where it's, yeah, we're going to make conservatives happy because it's still private, but we're going to make liberals happy too because government has its hand in it. 
Keep in mind during all of this that World War One or the Great War, or whatever you wanted to call it at that time, a big war was happening, and it's breaking out in Europe, and Wilson's main goal is to really just try to stay out of the war. It figures the U.S. doesn't need to be involved, so I guess we won't be involved. And at the same time, something big is happening for Wilson personally. Uh, his wife, Ellen, is having kidney failure, and she's getting worse and worse in 1914. She falls, she is bedridden, and she gets a little better for a while, but she doesn't recover very well at all. Uh, Wilson writes at this point, My dear one grows weaker and weaker with a pathetic patience and sweetness. Uh, on August 6th, she passes away, and Wilson is said to have said, Oh my God, what am I to do? So, of course, he is depressed and mourning, and for pretty much six months, um, he is in a bit of a depression. Uh, of course, you never fully are going to be able to recover from the passing of a loved one like that, but uh, he is faced with World War One and all the things that are involved in that. And so, of course, we've talked before about uh, not going into different wars and stuff like that. We're not a war podcast, but just keep in mind, you know, this is... He's really until about 1917 just trying to keep America out of the war and be neutral. And, well, we all know that that didn't go according to plan. They ended up entering into uh, the war. They had sent some troops here and there for support. But Wilson is trying all along to have peace, to offer some sort of mediation. And, well, it doesn't quite happen. But the next election is coming up. And he's also going to get remarried. And the war's about to hit a breaking point for Wilson. But guess what? That's the end of this episode. We'll pick it up next time. Uh, but we have a few announcements for you. So one thing that is consistent between the first term Woodrow Wilson and the second term Woodrow Wilson is the guy liked animals. And most presidents did, right? And earlier in the episode, we talked about this brand new Facebook group that we have. And in honor of presidential pets, <laughs> we have an official White House history, White House pet book bag. I'm sure some it, member of your pretty family. Sick. <laughs> it, it, it is quite awesome. And we will be posting a picture uh, today in the Facebook group, what you could win. Yeah, so if you just uh, follow the rules there in the Facebook group, uh, you'll be able to be enter into the contest for said book bag, and it really is pretty cool. Um, it, it's it's like cool in a in a currently trendy way, I think. Uh, but it's also be really great if you wanted to give it to your kids. Uh, that's a cool thing to do as well, and may, they may even learn something about presidential animals and all that kind of stuff. So head on over to electioncollege.com/group, or just look on our Facebook or Twitter pages for the link to the group join up. We would love to have you. We would love for you to be a part. We would love for you to throw out some different stories. If you see something cool related to history, throw it out there. Yeah. And speaking of people who have thrown it out there, uh, Mike Z, uh, who is one of our listeners who left a review, really appreciate that, um, said just some really nice things uh, there in the Apple podcast app. Uh, he says, I know you guys are not experts in history, but you do your research on the subject and make it fun to listen to. Uh, he was lamenting the fact that he's been binge listening and he's almost to the end and he's going to go through withdrawal. Uh, that is a terrible feeling, I know, from experience. It is. And, and Mike, <laughs> thank you for hanging in there with us. Hopefully you will join the Facebook group, get involved there. 
And do know this, we are we are down to one episode a week now, but we are more active than ever because of the group. And um, speaking of people who are active, uh, we have a new uh, patron in our Patreon uh, club, uh, Brian Campbell. Thank you very much for signing on with us this week. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Yeah, and about those uh, just one episodes a week, right now we're trying to make them a little longer, be a little more interactive with things. Uh, but of course, it's not always necessarily only going to be one episode a week. We may throw out some additional things here and there. We may go back to two episodes a week. We just want to be able to devote more time to each week and also to the other things that we do. So thank you very much for making this podcast successful. Yeah, hit us up on the group. We'd love to talk on Facebook. Yeah, and, uh, you know, enter the contest. The instructions will be there, right there in the Facebook group. Uh, you do need to be a member of the Facebook group. There's some really difficult questions like, uh, who is your favorite president? And how'd you find out about us? We love to hear from you, and we will see you next time. <laughs>